0: Well, we are in a journey uh, as we study God's story uh, in the pages uh, of Scripture, and we've really been in the first five books of the Bible, and those are known, for those of you that aren't Bible students, those are known as the Pentateuch, and uh, they're generally considered to be historical books because they represent historical events. Sometimes you hear them referred to as uh, the Torah or the law, Uh, but in reality they contain much more than just uh, laws. Uh, they provide an overview of God's plan of redemption and they provide the backdrop to everything that's going to happen in scripture that's what those first 5 books of the bible do and like uh, all of the old testament the promises and the promises uh, and the prophecies that we find contained in those first 5 books have their ultimate fulfillment in the person and work uh, of Jesus Christ and they provide a historical Uh, background a very important historical background uh, that's needed to set the stage for our coming uh, kinsman uh, redeemer and so what I thought we would do this morning before we jump into Joshua Jerry's going to be there next week uh, as well so we thought since we have two weeks in that particular book I want to just go back and then I want to rush us real quickly to where we're going to find ourselves today in case you haven't been here or are not familiar with the great narrative of Scripture. I know we've got a number of you that are either new in your faith, or some of you that have not crossed over that line of faith yet. You're still exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so some of this is new information to you. Just kind of want to give you a little bit of an overview and bring you up to where we are presently. Uh, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are, uh, record some very significant events. Obviously, that's where we read about uh, creation. And the whole unfolding of the story of God's redemption, however, doesn't begin until we get to Genesis chapter 12. And when we get to Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to a man whose name was uh, Abraham. And God makes a promise, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and at that moment, God makes it clear to Abraham that he has a plan to redeem his people back into the relationship that he's created them uh, to have. And so he makes three promises to Abraham. Number one, he was going to bless him and give him a land that was going to be a permanent home. Number two, he was going to make of him a great nation of people. Now you'll remember if you've been here, that was a very significant promise because Abraham and his wife Sarah, they were very old and they had no children. Very significant promise. Number three though, was most significant, and I think most significant for those of us that are here this morning. And that was the promise that God made to Abraham that he was going to bless the whole world with a Savior. And so Abraham follows God, he believes God, and he enters into what we now know as the land of Canaan. And eventually he has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And according to God's plan, Isaac would be uh, chosen by God to be the heir Uh, through which God would continue his covenant relationship that he'd made with Isaac's father, uh, Abraham. Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And you'll remember we spent a week talking uh, about Jacob. And Jacob was also chosen to be the channel uh, for God to unfold. Again, those promises that he had made to Abraham. Jacob has 12 sons. In fact, later on, we'll see them as the 12 sons of Israel. And the story at this point takes just a little bit of a turn. Uh, Jacob's older brothers, um, uh, Jacob's older sons, uh, anyway, not his older brothers, Jacob's older sons hate their younger brother so much that they decide that they want to get rid of him. And uh, you'll remember the story. They decide to get rid of him by uh, throwing him into a cistern rather than killing him, and then Decide that rather than doing that, there's a gang of Midianites that come by and they actually sell him to the Midianites. The Midianites take him to Egypt where he's sold as a slave to Potiphar, who was the captain of uh, the bodyguard for the king of Egypt. And what would have seemed like the very end at that point for Joseph, certainly, and then even you're wondering how is God actually going to accomplish his plan? Uh, But God, even though Joseph is going to face some incredibly severe circumstances, God eventually raises him to a place of prominence uh, in Egypt, and uh, at the age of 30, he uh, is delivered into a position of great authority, and he reports directly to the Pharaoh. God ultimately will use Joseph and his skill set to deliver his people out of famine, and his uh, father and his... uh, and his his children and grandchildren come to live in Egypt. And you know how the story ends. Joseph forgives uh, his brothers for what they had done to him. In fact, that verse that we quote so often, and Jerry mentioned uh, when he spoke to us on this particular uh, uh, person, on, on Joseph, that what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. And we see that theme all the way through the grand narrative of Scripture. And so over the next 400 years, The Hebrews, the nation of Israel, is going to become very strong. And as things go, the king of Egypt who knows Joseph and knows some of his family members, he ceases to be the king, he dies. There's new administration that comes into the land. And we read in Exodus that there comes a king and he doesn't know Joseph and he doesn't know anything about Joseph's people. And because of the rapid growth of the nation of Israel, he's very threatened by that. And in order to control their population... He enslaves the people of Israel, uh, but most significantly and probably most importantly is he decides to kill all their little baby boys. And it was during that time of oppression that God reminds his people that he has not forgotten the promise that he'd made to Abraham, and he raises up a deliverer, a savior, if you will, for his people, and we know that man to be Moses. Moses. And so the people of Israel, Moses leads them out of Egypt, and on their way there, they have a lot of miraculous things that happen along the way, but they regularly disobey God, they murmur, they complain along the way, and as a result of their sin, they wander in the wilderness rather than going directly into the Promised Land, which is actually very close. They wander in the wilderness for about 40 years. And God eventually brings them right to the edge of the land that he promised to Abraham and his descendants so many years earlier. You'll also remember that because of Moses' disobedience to God, that he is not allowed to enter into the promised land. And because the people didn't believe the spies that Moses sent into the land, they were not allowed, if you were above the age of 20, to enter into the promised land. This was written of Moses, a great, as great a man as he was, not being able to enter the promised land, this was written of him in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. This was written on his tombstone. No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And even though he had that kind of relationship with with the Lord, he would never ever enter into the promised land. He could see it from a distance, but he would never be able to, would never be allowed to be able to enter it. And so it's at this particular moment that a new leader steps onto the scene, and uh, we know that man um, by the name of of Joshua. He obviously, we say, has very large shoes to fill. However, Moses didn't wear shoes, he wore sandals, so he had very large sandals to fill. And I want you to turn with me in your Bible, if you have them, I hope you do. Uh, If you don't, if you have your electronic device, your phone, your iPad, or whatever, turn to Joshua chapter 1, that's where I'll be this morning. Uh, But Jerry will pick up in the book of Joshua again uh, next week. Now we find out real quickly that Joshua's father's name is Nun. And uh, he was of the tribe of Ephraim. We don't know anything about his mother. But we do know that Joshua is often overlooked, just like a lot of people are, when they follow a great leader. Does anybody know the president that came after Abraham Lincoln? Uh, Does anybody know the prime minister that came after Winston Churchill? Uh, We have a habit in our culture uh, that we forget the person that comes right after a great leader. And One Bible teacher said this, that the entire career of Joshua was a straightforward story of simply setting down one foot after another in quiet compliance with the commands of God. I love that. There are most of us here this morning, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, that uh, most of us, the vast majority, if not all of us, were pretty ordinary people. There's nothing really extraordinary uh, about us. But what we can do if we choose to do is we can set one foot in front of another and in quiet compliance we can simply be obedient to God. And that's what Joshua was. Joshua was born a slave in Egypt. His birth would have been miraculous that he wasn't killed a- along the way because of all the little boys being put to death. No doubt many evenings Joshua would see his father come in from uh, from the, uh, the uh, hard day's work, just being exhausted under the harsh conditions of the Egyptian workplace. And we can only sit back and imagine how that might have influenced Joshua later on uh, in his life, as, as he remembers back to the struggle that his parents had had. Um, Joshua, we read in Exodus 17, he leads a, batty, a battle against the Amalekites. He serves as an assistant to Moses. We find that right in Joshua chapter 1. He was with Moses when he went up to Mount Sinai. In fact, there were a group of people that went up with Moses to Mount Sinai. However, it's really clear from the text in Exodus chapter 24 that Moses tells all of them to stay behind, but he takes Joshua with him a little further up. And We don't know many of the details of this event, but we do know that Joshua was with Moses at that time. Don't also forget that, that uh, Joshua was one of the spies that was sent into the promised land in the book of Numbers when Moses sent people to spy out the land when they were going to go take the land at one point. And you remember the, the, the uh, spies came back and, you know, you probably sang the song when you were a little child, at least I did, ten were bad, two were good, right? And the only two that were good were Joshua and Caleb, who said, we can take it, we can do it. The others said, there's big giants in the land, we're like little grasshoppers in their eyes. As a result of that, as a result of the people murmuring, complaining, not being obedient to God, as I said earlier, they would not be allowed to enter into the promised land if they were over the age of 20. All of these divine experiences are happening in the life of a man who is being sovereignly prepared by God to do something extraordinary. This is the moment uh, that he's been waiting for when we get to Joshua chapter 1. And I just want to remind you this morning that you may be here today and you may be in circumstances that to you seem pretty dire, pretty futile. In fact, maybe you're in a job you don't like and you're wondering, am I going to die in this job? I mean, literally, am I going to die in this job? Uh, Maybe you're in other circumstances. Maybe it has to do with your finances. Uh, Maybe uh, there are other things that are going on in your life that have just caused you to be in a situation of despair where literally you find yourself at times crying out to God, saying, God, is this all of there is? Is this all there is? Is this all you're going to do with my life? Here's the really cool thing about the life of Joshua. And if you remember back to our study of Moses, the same thing was true. And that is the vast majority of their lives are spent in preparation for what God will do with them for a brief moment in time. And and I would submit to you that that is so often true for many of us, right? That God is going to take a long time in preparation in order for for him to use us. Potentially in some extraordinary way. But we've got to be faithful during that long, difficult time when God is molding us and he's shaping us into the people that he wants us to be. And I would say to you that most of us never accomplish those purposes. And you know why? Because we're not willing to wait. We're not willing to go through the difficult times. Joshua, obviously, was willing. And so it's at this moment in time when Joshua comes onto the scene. Each moment, every circumstance that he's experienced up to that point, God's using it all to mold him and shape him into the man that he needed to be for this particular moment. One pastor said it this way, and this has stuck with me for a couple of weeks now that most of us miss our opportunities in life because we lack strength and courage. Now, stop and think about that for just a moment. One of the questions, if you're working with us through in your life group, if this is, these are your topics of discussion, one of the things I'm going to ask you in those questions is, what would you attempt if you had the courage to attempt it? Most, most of us never accomplish anything extraordinary in our life because we lack strength and courage. And so this pastor said it this way, and this has stuck with me now for a couple weeks. He, he wrote this. In the swimming pool of life, most of us are content to stay in the shallow end. is that good? I thought it was. Very simple. But it's really good, and it's really true. In the swimming pool of life, most of us are content to stay in the shallow end. Now, what do you see at the shallow end when you're at the pool, right? The shallow end is where all the little kids are, right? They got their little floaties on. Uh, they got a ring around their neck, a little life jacket on, whatever they got. And if you're an adult and you're on the, in the shallow end, you're either there because you're with one of those kids or you're scared or something, right? But, but most of us in the swimming pool of life, we tend to stay where our feet can touch the bottom, don't we? Where we know that everything is secure. Because we reach a certain age and it's not cool to have the floaties on. I mean, you do know that, right? You reach a certain age, whether you swim or not, don't put the floaties on. People like me will make fun of you, right? Don't, don't do that, right? When we should have been moving to the deeper end and, and, and exploring those things with strength and courage that God might want to do in our lives, most of us are content to stay where it's comfortable and where our feet can touch the bottom. I don't watch a lot of movies, but when I do, I got to thinking about this because in a couple of weeks, I'm going to speak on Ruth. And and I really love good romance. I know. It's, it's, I don't seem like the type, but give me the blood and gore of a battle scene, and I am totally with it. But And I know, I'm just going to admit it, right? Because we value transparency. Give me Sleepless in Seattle, and I will cry. Hey, I'm not ashamed of it, right? Now, I don't watch a lot of movies, but when I do, it's probably one extreme or the other. But what I always love is I love it when a hero or a heroine must exhibit incredible courage in order to accomplish something that is just extraordinary. And one of my favorite movies of all time, I've probably seen it uh, literally beginning to end hundreds. uh, I'm going to say at least 200 times, and that's Gladiator. I love, love, love the movie, okay? Maximus is a powerful Roman general. He's loved by the people. And the aging uh, emperor, Marcus Aurelius, uh, before his death, the emperor chooses Maximus to be uh, the heir to uh, his throne over his son and little wussified boy Commodus. And a power struggle leaves Maximus and his family condemned to death and the powerful general is unable to save his family and he loses his wife and his little boy. In fact, one of the most powerful scenes in the movie to me is when you see him coming down the driveway to his home, and his wife and his son are hanging. And his loss of will allows him to get captured and to be put into the gladiator games. And as you know anything from history, they would be put into these games until literally they die. And the only desire that fuels Maximus now is the chance to rise to the top so that he can look into the eyes of the man uh, who has so wronged him, Commodus, and he can feel his revenge. And when that opportunity comes, that is like the greatest moment of the whole movie. So great that I'm going to remind you of it here this morning. Watch this. Your fame is well-deserved, Spaniard. I don't think there's ever been a gladiator to match you. Just for this young man, he insists you are had reborn. What was it, Hercules. Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. kids are going, wow, aren't you? You, you? I mean, that's like the most awesome moment for me in movie history. I love it. And for just a moment, especially if you've never seen that before or if you've seen it, how many men, this is like, you, you, you just love it like I do. See, we're all the same, right? I, I sit there and every time I watch it and I, when he turns his head and he says, I am Marcus and uh, Maximus, and you just, you just kind of lean back and you just go, what would it be like to be there at that particular moment and have that kind of courage, right? And every guy in here, right, if you're a man, every guy in here goes, man, I would love to have that kind of courage at a specific moment in my life. Where there's a dividing line and I can either fold or I can do something extraordinary. And that is the point that we come to here in Joshua chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read there. uh, Because I believe that scene in Gladiator really sets us up. (laughs) Uh, The Lord intended it from the beginning of time to set up this particular... It's probably a little bit of a stretch... But he's at this moment where it's going to take incredible courage. And God knows that what he's going to call him to do is going to take incredible courage. And so right at the beginning of his divine calling, God's going to tell him something. That if you want to be strong and courageous in your life, if you want to accomplish something extraordinary... And let me tell you, Joshua, this is the way to do it. And So the text says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of uh, Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I'm going to give them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you. Not I will give to you. Remember 500 years ago, I already gave it to you. You're just going to go possess it now. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What a promise. You know what's incredible is we can read that as New Testament saints. And we can say, man, I wish God would... I wish God would reveal himself to me that way. I wish God would... Well, God hasn't God made that same promise to you and to me? I'm going to be with you. Whether that's Cary, North Carolina, or whether that's in Kazakhstan, wherever that may be, I'm going to be right there, and no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then three times in the next uh, few verses... He tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land which I swore to, the, to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may be able to have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success, have I not commanded you? Third time, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened, and don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you uh, the, the intent of our time together this morning, I will state it here with just a few minutes left, is really to be very, very simple with you today. Here's the big idea. Average people accomplish extraordinary things when they follow biblical principles and live courageously. Average people accomplish extraordinary things when they follow biblical principles and they live courageously. Verses 6-9 through detail the relationship that Joshua is supposed to have with the written law of Moses. We know that these first five books of the Bible, we know them, as I said earlier, as the Pentateuch. It's fascinating to think that Joshua knew well the writer of these books. He knew that Moses was a flawed human being. He knew the, the sinfulness in the life and the leadership of Moses. But immediately after the death of Moses, he recognizes the Pentateuch as literally the writings of God. Not just simply the memoirs of a human being, but the writings of God. He understands them to be the word of God, and as such, they are supposed to have authority in his life and the, life, and the lives of his people. And so the book of Joshua is somewhat a transitional book because we read before that God talks to Abraham, God wrestles with Jacob, God talks to Moses in a burning bush, and it's as if in the book of Joshua, all of a sudden, right here in chapter 1, God says, from this point moving forward, my normal way of communication is going to be through my word. And so it is today as well. And as important as it was for Joshua to possess the written word of God, it, it is also important for us to possess the word of God. And it wasn't just simply to have a copy with him. In fact, um, the Gutenberg Press wouldn't come around for a lot more years. Even the scribes weren't writing things down, but it was literally supposed to become the center of his life. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, the only way that your flashlight can be good for a light to your path is if you have it with you, if you know it if, it, if you possess it. If it's at home in the cupboard, it's no good to you. And so the only way for Joshua to be strong and courageous was to have a proper understanding and to have a proper priority of God's word in his life. And so four things just real quickly. Number one, Joshua was to know God's word. He was to know God's word. Now, the text doesn't say specifically that he was to know or that he was to study, but certainly the inference is there, that if it was to be his guide, then the inference is there that he would literally have to know it. And the only way to know something is if you study it, right? you got to study something in order to know it. And so it wasn't supposed to be just stored away, this Pentateuch, these five uh, first books of the Old Testament, they weren't supposed to be put in the Ark of the Covenant and 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 just worshipped there as such, they were literally supposed to be read and to be studied. And get in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, you can see that there was a ceremony on top of Mount Ebal, where the, the books of the law were brought out, and the people stood there as the books of the law were read in their entirety. If you get into the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra the prophet brings out, Uh, the books of the law, and he reads them, the text says, from early in the morning until midday. I wonder if we said, hey, we got an event that we're planning. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have you guys show up at the church office, and you're just going to gather on blankets. Actually, not going to gather on blankets. You're just going to stand up because that's what they did. You're just going to stand up, right? No lawn chairs, no nothing. And we're going to read the first five books of the Bible to you. From morning about 6 a.m. until midday. How many of you'd make that a priority in your schedule? Right, I had two people in the last service. You guys are bad people. That's why you that's why you come to the later service and not the early service, right? Early service, we found two people that, that would do that. Well, the point is we've got our copy of the Word of God, right? We can study in, in the privacy of our own home and lots of different ways we can study the Word of God. But that is what God said to Joshua, you got to know my word, and the only way you're going to know my word is to study my word. Now, there's a lot more things that we could say there. I think you, you, you get the point. that you, In order to be able to live by something, you have to know it. Number two, Joshua was to talk about God's word. Verse 8 says, don't let it depart from your mouth. Clearly, he was to be conversing about the word in his normal day-to-day interaction with people. I love it when people talk Bible. And by the way, I can always pick up on, and maybe you can too as you interact with people, when people have difficulty in their life and they don't talk Bible because they don't know Bible. Does that make sense to you? Now, just this last uh, Monday night, and I want to remind you, we've been having prayer first Monday night of every month. We welcome you to come to the church office, pray with uh, our elder team. We really love that. We've had a few people that have come out. want to invite you to do that first uh, Monday night uh, in March. But this last week, uh, I was struck by this as we sat down to pray, and one particular woman in our church whose name I will not mention, it's not really necessary, but um, she is, um, let's just say an older saint here at Northwest, and um, she's probably one of my favorites, right? You say, oh, you're not supposed to have favorites. I do. I'm just being honest with you, right? She's, she's probably one of them. I like all of you. I do. I love all of you, but she's probably one of my favorites if I'm really honest, And I'm telling you what, she is praying like there is going to be no tomorrow. Like whatever God's going to do, am I right, guys? Whatever God's going to do, he's going to do it tonight, right? And so she starts praying, and I'm going, if God does what, what she's asking him to do, it's going to be pretty awesome around this place. And she's quoting Scripture God, you said this, and so we want you to do this. And you said that, and so please do that. And you said you want our pastors to be like this, so do that. And I'm going, woo, man. Because she is talking, praying Scripture. You know, the truth of the matter is for many of us, we can't talk like that because we don't know the Word of God. The reason why some of you, when you have issues with your kids, you find yourself fumbling around and you can't give them biblical principle, it's because you don't know the Word of God. Because you don't talk about that which you don't know. At least certainly don't talk intelligently about that which you don't know. Joshua was to talk about it. And we say often here at Northwest, and it's worthy of repeating again, that you cannot teach something, you cannot talk about something that you don't know. Number three, Joshua was to meditate on God's word. Meditation, by the way, is a step beyond knowing, right? I can know something and just know it and never think about it again, right? Meditating means it implies that I'm reasoning about the word of God and I'm deducing certain things from it, all right? Let me give you an example. We've only got a few minutes, but let me give you this quick example. All right, Our verse uh, for the month, I think, Jerry, you gave it earlier, right? Psalm 37, 4, and 5. That's our verse for the month. Great, awesome verse, right? And so you can memorize that verse, or you can memorize it and meditate upon it. The psalmist said, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Okay, well, you can know that verse, but now when you know it, and you then deduce truth from it that you're committed to live by. Think of how that might tra- transform and change your life. Uh, tr- delight yourself in the Lord. What does that mean? That means to make him the centerpiece of your life. <laughs> right? It starts right there, making him the centerpiece of your life. And so you meditate on that and you think about it. Is he the centerpiece of my life, right? For a lot of us, he's not. He's an ornament that we hang on the tree. But he's not the centerpiece of our life. But the psalmist said, delight yourself in the Lord. That's where it starts. He's got to be the center place of your life. And then what will happen? He'll give you the desires of your heart. Some of you have heard me talk about this. You come and you say, I just don't know what God wants me to do. And I look at people all the time and I say, what do you want to do? What's the desire of your heart? Well, I just, you know, here's here's the desire of my heart. And it's almost as if some of us have grown up in these circles, right? Where, Where if you desire it, God must not will it. Anybody live that way? We really do. Because we've been beat up so often. And so if I desire it, God must be sitting up in heaven going, there's no way I'm going to give you that. I am not going to bless your life in that way. Right? But that's not how it works. Right? When he becomes the central focus of my life, when I delight myself in the Lord, then the desires of my heart are indistinguishable from the desires of his heart. Right? That's how it works. It's really that simple. So it's really cool that when I'm counseling people and I say to somebody that I'm convinced is walking with God, delighting their self in him, I always say to them, what do you want to do? And they'll say, well, I kind of want to do this. And I go, you should go do that. That'll be $50. No, we we don't charge for counseling. Think about how easy that is. When I delight myself in the Lord, and he becomes the central focus of my life, then the scripture says he's going to give me the desires of my heart. The only way that could possibly happen is if my desires were aligned with his desires. And the cool thing is, they become undistinguishable, so we don't even know. I don't even know why I desire this. And God goes, I do, because my spirit is indwelling you, and these things are one." Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He'll do what? He's going to act. Are you committing your way to the Lord? Are you trusting in Him? Then He'll act. You wonder why He's not acting? Are you committing your way to the Lord? Trusting in Him? You see how that goes? That's what we're to do. We're to meditate on God's Word. Don't just learn these verses of Scripture so that some of you have jokingly said, I'm going to give you a donut at the end of the year, all right? Because I got donuts. Remember when I was a little kid, I said a verse of Scripture, I got a donut, you know? I've got one guy that's texted me now. And he's gone, I memorized two verses in January and two in February. You owe me four donuts, all right? Don't just memorize it for the donut, meditate on it. Let it marinate in your mind. And then here's what will happen. You will begin to talk scripture. You will begin to live it when you are meditating on it. And that brings us to number four. You can only be obedient to that which you know. Joshua was told that he was to obey all the law and don't turn just a little bit to the left or just a little bit to the right, but be obedient to all of the law in its entirety. Many of us know enough about the Bible, or we could know enough about the Bible, to make an incredible impact for the cause of Jesus Christ. The problem for most of us, some of you have heard me say this, we'll probably say it another hundred times before some of us start living this way. The problem for most of us is not that we need to know just a little bit more. And some of you are so enamored with Bible study. Now make sure that you don't misquote me. You're so enamored with Bible study so that you can fill your head with more and more stuff that you have no intention of obeying. Please let me challenge you to stop doing that. For some of you, hear hear me say this, just make sure you get it right, right, especially if you're going to tweet it, all right, make sure you get it right, all right. For some of you, you need to quit going to Bible study and learning more stuff that you have no intention of doing. You need to take that which you already know and to some degree have been convinced of and you need to start being obedient to those things. Because for many of us, it's not that we need to know just a little bit more, but we have to be committed to obeying it. It's amazing to me in some of the situations I've dealt with even in the last couple weeks. People that want to ignore whole passages of Scripture where clear biblical principle is given to us. While at the same time and in a same email or a same conversation quoting other passages of Scripture. That is an abomination before God. You are to know and understand the full counsel of God and then be committed to obeying all of it. Not turning to the left, not turning to the right. And I would just say this to you, this is a freebie, no extra charge. I would just say this to you, that when you you become convinced of the truth of Scripture, then when God reveals something into your life, and there's a biblical principle there that's very clear, and there's conviction, trust the God that you've become convinced of over here, that that is truth, and that no matter how painful it is, you need to be obedient to it. And if you will do it, you will see God do incredible things in your life because this is what God said to Joshua. If he would do this, what would his relationship be with the Word of God? What would... Happen if he had this relationship with the Word of God. Verse 8: For then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. The difference in Joshua and every other general that came before him or after him was not that Joshua was some extraordinary person, he had battle tactics and he understood things that other people didn't understand. The difference in him was that he was committed to have a proper relationship with the written word of God. And that is why Joshua was so successful. And that is why Joshua was able to be strong and courageous. That's what made his leadership great. And when Jerry picks it up next week, you're going to see all these wonderful things that God did in and through the ministry life of Joshua, I want you to remember, it was because he had a proper relationship with the word of God. He was an average person that God used in an extraordinary way because he was committed to obeying biblical truth and living courageously. Average people become extraordinary people. They do extraordinary things when they follow biblical principles and live courageously. Let me land the plane real quick here. Because some of you, and I, I, and I always like to get to the end, and, and I'm always asking, I know Jerry does the same thing, we're always asking at the end, going, so what? Right? Because if I'm not careful, what I just told you not to do, you could do this morning, right? I could give you a bunch of stuff, and you go, that's cool, never heard some of that stuff, that's awesome. Boop, tuck that back, have no intention of doing anything with it. We don't want to do that, all right? So here's where some of you are right now, where you need to... Commit yourself to live by biblical principles and be strong and courageous. And if you were, there would be some significant changes in some areas of your life. I wrote a few of them down. Some of you, and I know you think I sound like a broken record because we talk about this all the time. We're going to keep talking about it until there is no longer a problem. But some of you are in marriages that are bad. All right, You know it. We know it. Other people around you know it. Your kids know it. You know, I wonder if, any, if anybody that finds themselves in that situation today, do you have enough courage? Are you convinced enough of the truth of this book that you will commit yourself to live by biblical principle and step out and courageously fight for your marriage? For some of you, that needs to be the application point this morning. I've been overwhelmed the last year at situations that we have dealt with internally right here at Northwest where people are struggling with some debilitating addiction or habit. And Satan whispers, there's no way that you can overcome that. There's there's no way that you're ever going to get victory in that area of your life. And that is a lie. Because the same things that God said to Joshua, if you will be committed to the truth of this book, I will make you strong, and I will make you courageous. And no matter how strong that addiction may be, God can break that. Whether it's an addiction to a drug, or to alcohol, or to food. You say, food, don't talk about that. I mean, it, it, come on, alcohol, drug, food. Yeah. Some of you know that. That's where you are, and you don't have the, you don't have the courage to step out and apply biblical truth to those situations in your life so that your life can be different. For some of you here this morning, the first step of courage that you need to take is you need to step over the line of faith and you need to become a follower of Jesus. There are people in this church, you've been coming for a long time and and you've gotten really comfortable here and yet you're still not a follower of Jesus. And Satan becomes, begins to convince you after a while not to do that because what will people think about you because you've been here a certain length of time and you should... Now you ought got to have enough courage to step out and give your life to Jesus and let him come in control of your life. Still others, you're followers of Jesus and you've never been obedient to him in baptism. We deal with this all the time here at Northwest, especially some of you adults that have known the Lord for a very long time and you've never been baptized, you've never really publicly identified yourself as a follower of Jesus. And you say, well, I'm still going to heaven. Yes, you are because we believe that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. We believe that. But the first act of obedience for a follower of Jesus is to identify themselves with Jesus by believer's baptism. Some of you need to be courageous. You need to know that's the truth of the word of God and you need to step out in all the fear and who cares what people think about you? That's what you need to do. Some of you, just real, real, real quickly and simply, some of you parents, you need to start leading courageously your families. You need to be committed to the truth of this book and you need to start leading your family create courageously. And some of you bought into the idea that it's too late. You can't possibly do that now. And God says, I will be with you. I will strengthen you. I will give you courage. If you take this book and you observe to do everything that's written in it, you will be prosperous and successful in that area of your life. God wants to do extraordinary things with ordinary people like you and like me. The truth of the matter is that most of us are pretty ordinary, aren't we? I said in the first service, it's interesting that uh, most of us guys, we'd love to be on the field at the Super Bowl tonight. We're not. We're not even there. we are pretty ordinary guys, right? Some of you women that go, well, it would we be, married, be mar- nice to be married to one of those guys, you know, making millions of dollars a year. No, yeah, you're married to us. You're pretty ordinary yourself, right? It's just what we are. It's just who we are. And you know what I love about what I get to do? What you pay me to do. You know what I love about it? I love that I can talk to you about a God who can take ordinary people like you and like me and that if we will be obedient to biblical principle, he will use us to be involved in extraordinary things. That's what I love. Because that's the level field, right? Right at the foot of the cross. That's where everything's leveled out. Doesn't matter if you're playing in the Super Bowl or if you're not even at the Super Bowl or don't even have a TV to watch the Super Bowl. Doesn't really matter. At the foot of the cross, everything's equal because that's what God does. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I look forward to next week and Jerry just taking off from here and just showing us what it meant when this man, Joshua, believed what you told him in chapter 1 and was strong and courageous and had a proper understanding of biblical principle and a commitment to live by it God I pray that you'd make us those kind of people I pray for people this morning that that need right now to claim the truth of scripture to be obedient to the truth of scripture to saturate themselves in the truth of scripture so that they might be strong and courageous That they might see you do something incredible uh, in their life. Not because of who they are, but because of a proper relationship with who you say that they are in Scripture. I pray we will do that today. I pray we'll be committed to change. That we will be committed to doing the hard work that's necessary. During that wandering time of our life, when you're molding us and shaping us into the people that you want us to be. For those moments in life. When we courageously step out and you use us in extraordinary ways. We're going to stand and sing a song here in just a moment and after we do, when we close, I'm going to be down front and uh, I would would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. Had an opportunity after the first service with several people. Um, That brings us no greater joy as your shepherds uh, than to do that. I'll be down here. Jerry will be down here. We'd love to... Just wrap our arms around around you and pray with you in some specific area uh, of your life uh, so that you can uh, come to the place where you live the life uh, that God intends.